Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. God bless you, Thrive. Thank you for joining us for our Sunday experience. Just real quick, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Eric, the lead pastor of this amazing church called Thrive. And I would like to thank all of the tech team, the worship team, every member of our Connect team. You might be joining us online here or through our, or listening to our podcast, but we also had a drive-in service where we had our Connect team serving. Um, can we just thank them? If you're watching us online, throw up a heart or something, um, but for sure, I'd love it if we all, at some point today, prayed a blessing over every volunteer that makes this happen. We're so grateful for the hours of of dedicated work. Um, We love you all and are very, very grateful. I have the opportunity to introduce a new series today. We're excited as a teaching team. The sermon series is entitled Night and Day, Night and Day. And what we're going to be doing, and we encourage you uh, to join us, we're actually going to be connecting our sermon series with the uh, book of John. And we've been going through uh, providing devos weekly, two or three times a week, a devotional out of the book of John. And we're going to dive into the book of John. And specifically, over the next eight weeks or so, we are going to be discussing the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospels, specifically in the book of John. So you'll be able to follow along with us as we dig deep. And this is why. This is the reason why we feel like this is a timely focus teaching focus for us um, at Thrive and at this time. And that is because essentially and most specifically, the I am statements, when God describes himself as the I am and when Jesus describes himself as I am and he speaks to himself as I am, he is saying that he is God and God is the self-sufficient, self-sustaining one. Why is that important for us today, family? This is why. In a world that is moving and shifting and shaking, we're surrounded by people that are confused and desperate. Perhaps despair, fear, anxiety has creeped into your heart, maybe into some of your closest relationships. We need to remind ourselves that the God that we believe in is not tethered to a government or an economy or an election or a flu vaccine. The God that we serve is the I am. He is the self-sufficient one. He doesn't lean on you. He doesn't lean on anyone else. He doesn't need anything. Everything that is necessary, everything that is beautiful, everything that is whole is in him. And so we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. And so To start off, I actually don't want to take you to John. I want to introduce the concept of the I am by going to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. This is a familiar Bible story. Um, It's when Moses meets the I am, when he meets Yahweh, um, as God speaks to him in a burning bush. So let's go to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read the first six verses. Keep your Bibles open. Um, because we're going to read some more out of chapter three. But we'll start with verse one. And it reads, Now Moses was tending 
the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Verse five, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Again, the sermon series is entitled Night and Day. And so as we discuss this introductory uh, message and as we go through the seven I am statements, we want to weave this very, very core identity of who God is. And that is that he is the I am. He is the self-sufficient one. And we as his children, we as his disciples must be committed to depending on him. We have to learn a new dependency in this Christian walk of faith. Where before, when we were children, we were dependent on our parents to feed us. As we went through school, we were dependent on educators to instruct us and friends to make us feel accepted. Maybe we got into adulthood looking for people or systems around us to lean on. We lean on a government or we lean on um, um, civic laws or we lean on the, a contract when it comes to employment or buying a house. We, we depend on a financial advisor or a real estate agent or a doctor. But when we come to Christ, we are born again and we enter into a new spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that was there all along, but we were blind to it because we were dead. We were dead, we were still asleep, but we were awakened by the spirit and we are brought to life and we're introduced to a new way of living where we no longer depend on a contract or we no longer depend on a person's promises or we never depend on a, on a, on a human system or a man-made system. Now we depend on God. We rely on God. We go all in and bet on God that he is who he says he is in his word that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is merciful. If there's a promise to be kept by, made by him, it will be kept by him. I'll say it again. If there's a promise that is to be made by him, it will be kept by him. And he doesn't need someone to force him. He doesn't need the threat of litigation. He doesn't need the threat of, of, of being physically uh, threatened. He is good, perfectly good and ultimately reliable. We need to depend on him. We need to depend on God. At the very core of his identity is the reality that he is dependable because he depends on no one and on nothing. So as we go through this passage in Exodus chapter three, I wanna peel back a little bit, a few layers, and I want us to see at exactly how dependable he is. And, and if, there's a, if there's a core thought to this first introductory message, 
It's this, it's that God shows up because he can. God shows up because he can. In the dead of night or in the bright sun of day, whether you're up or you're down, God shows up. Whether you feel like you're far away or whether you seem surrounded yet alone, God shows up because he can, because he can. He reveals himself. He interjects himself. He presents himself to you because he can. He doesn't need to ask permission. He doesn't need things to go his way. He doesn't need the stars to align. He doesn't need someone to like him. He shows up because he can. And no one can stop him when he chooses to reveal himself. Not a virus, not a down economy. He shows himself because he can. The first thing I wanna give you is this. God interjects himself into our wilderness because he can. It's not an accident that Moses is in the wilderness or in a desert, in a remote place alone, and God shows up. Verse one, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Now, a little backstory if you're new to the Bible or maybe new to the, Moses. Moses was, was a Hebrew, but they were, they were under the oppressive government of Egypt, the Egyptians, and a very insecure Pharaoh decided to kill all of the, of the male Jews, Hebrews, that were born. And so his mother secured, gave birth to him and, and put him in a basket. We'll get more into this in just a little bit. But Moses was actually raised in the Pharaoh's court. He was trained by Egyptian teachers. And he grew up in one day, in a fit of rage, as he looked at his own countrymen, his fellow Hebrews being whipped and, and enslaved, he grew angry watching a particular Egyptian beating one of his countrymen that he goes and he, he commits vigilanteism, that's the word. He becomes a vigilante and he kills the Egyptian and he ends up a fugitive. And all these years later, having fled Egypt, He'd been on the run. He finds himself out in the wilderness and there's a burning bush. Moses was in a very multifaceted wilderness. This wasn't just a dry place. It wasn't like just going out, you know, out in, into the, you know, near Palm Springs or out to some desert place and you're surrounded by, by rocks and by cliffs and, and it's dry. No, it wasn't just that. It, it, it was a physical wilderness, but it was also, it was also a legal wilderness. He was a fugitive. He had committed murder. He was still on the run. He was hiding out. 
This was a reputational wilderness. He had fled and he hadn't looked back. And we have no evidence at all that he ever spoke with his family again or that he ever spoke to anyone in Egypt again. He was a man on the run. His reputation was in ruins. This was a professional wilderness. He'd been trained by the best teachers. Pharaoh, this was Pharaoh's adopted grandson. And he had the best of it all. He was, he was trained. He was literate. Um, he was, he was um, prepared to do great things. And here he is tending sheep. Not even his own sheep. They're his father-in-law's sheep. Can I tell you that a shepherd didn't need to know how to read or write. A shepherd wasn't trained. It was one of the lowest professions that one could have at this time. He's out with sheep, just making sure that they eat, they drink, and that, that no one robs them and no animal comes and eats them. This is one of the least respected professions. Moses is in a spiritual wilderness, a spiritual wilderness, probably spiritually confused, having been nursed by his own mother and perhaps taught some of the key principles of the faith, but then having been indoctrinated by the religions and the religion and the beliefs around him. He was in a desert. Can I tell you today, I want to remind you that God wants to reveal himself in your desert. He doesn't need things to go right. He doesn't need the tide to turn. He doesn't need you to get to a place where he can reach you. He shows up because he can. And maybe today you're in a wilderness, professionally, reputationally, I don't know, maybe even legally. You're perhaps in a spiritual wilderness, a relational wilderness, feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling forgotten. Maybe you even try to hide out. Well, God sees you and God loves you and God isn't afraid of your wilderness and he isn't afraid about how far you've gone. He isn't worried, can he reach you? He doesn't need you to turn back to reach you. All he needs you to do is to look and be ready to listen because God is speaking and God is hunting and God is pursuing. C.S. Lewis calls God the hound dog of the heaven. He doesn't leave you like a, like a careless parent to just figure it out for yourself. No, he instructs and he observes and he protects. And for the willing child, he'll teach and he'll prepare and he'll minister. God shows up in the wilderness, Moses' wilderness, your wilderness, because he can. Number two is that God interjects himself into our spiritual apathy because he can. Look at this, verse five. God tells Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Someone say holy. Holy ground. Now, now I want you to ca catch something here. Is that Moses looks and the scripture says that he sees something strange. It says here, I will go over in verse three and I will see this strange sight. See, Moses saw something strange, but didn't realize it was divine. He saw something 
odd, weird, unexpected, but he did not have the spirituality, the spiritual acumen, the spiritual sensitivity to realize that's not just strange, that's supernatural. I think it's important, friend, that you and I realize that when something seems strangely beneficial, God is up to something. God shows up in the strange, in the unexpected. Stop thinking that that phone call you got just at the right time is strange or that text when you were down and someone sent you a text. Don't think that that's strange. Don't think it's strange that you run into a brother or a sister at the store. Don't think it's strange that you got that job that you maybe you didn't deserve. Don't think it's strange that you should have got in trouble, but you did it. Let me tell you something, friend. No matter where you are, God shows up and he'll even show up when we're spiritually numb, when we're spiritually checked out, when we're worried about us and why we're out here and why no one notices us or sees us and we don't realize that God is pursuing us, even in something as dramatic as this, even when something special happens like this, we can be spiritually obtuse, blind, deaf, but God will show up even then because he's not put off by your uh, by our indifference. He isn't put off by our apathy. He loves us, so he chases us and he pursues us. But can I tell you, friend, today, I want you to stop and think. Have strange things happen? Things you didn't, unex didn't expect? Please don't chalk it up to luck or good fortune. Don't, please don't buy the lie. It's just because you're smart or you're cute, or you're good at something, can I just tell you, friend, that God is pursuing you and he's revealing himself to you. Don't give the devil credit. Don't give yourself credit. Don't give chance credit. Give God credit because he is showing up for you. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Verse 19, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Don't you get it? The prophet writes, he's doing something special. He's reaching you any way he can. And what does he say? He says to Moses, take off your sandals. You don't know enough, Moses, to take off your sandals. So let me tell you, take off your sandals because I've made this place Holy, I've made this place holy. Even when we don't know enough to seek him, Moses didn't know enough to seek God. God reveals himself because he can and because he's a God of love. In this coronavirus season, in this season, a, a national season of, of, of angst and, and, and conflict, God is still showing up. He's still making a way. He's still doing his thing. He's still providing. He's still caring. He's still keeping you together. You may not even notice it's his hands that keep you from falling apart. Recognize the miracles. Recognize there's a, a bush that's burning that won't go out and take your sandals off. Fear him. Respect him, worship him, because God shows up even when we're not paying attention. 
He's showing up. The third thing I want to reveal to you or share with you is that God interjects himself into our personal history because he can. In verse six, he says to Moses, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What God is doing is he's revealing to Moses something extraordinary. Is that in the chaos of the the polytheism, the the belief in many gods, the name Yahweh, the, the name Elohim, might have gotten lost in the, in the noise. But what God is showing Moses is that you don't know me, but I know you. And I've set this day up from the very beginning. You didn't recognize me in your personal history. You never felt me or saw me or heard me, but I was there. In fact, I was working before you. See, your ancestors or a part of your story. I gave you Abraham, I gave you Isaac, I gave you Jacob so that you would be here today. God has worked in your personal history. That's why you're still listening. That's why you're still here. That's why you're alive. Some of us would not be alive today if not for God interjecting himself into our personal histories. There was a grandma praying. There was an aunt praying. There was an uncle that would pick you up from school. And that's why you're here. They, you didn't know it at the time. You couldn't connect the dots. But I want you to know that God was involved in your personal history even before you were born. See, God set it up. Most scholars believe that the Pharaoh at the time was Seti I. And Seti I was insecure. And he was surrounded by insecure people. And they convinced him And he may not have needed much convincing, but together they decided that they were going to, out of fear, massacre innocent boys. God knew this. God didn't cause it, but he knew it. And he would use it. And he knew that Seti would do such a thing. So what did he do? He knew this was the point in time when Israel's, when Israel's leader would be born. And he coincided Seti the first with the birth of Moses. He even made sure that Pharaoh had a daughter just the right age to want a son. I believe he grew the reeds along the Nile just tall enough to hide Moses' sister that was watching him, but not so tall it hid Moses from the sight of Pharaoh's daughter. And when God carved the Nile, He did it so Moses would be there. God is involved in your history and not all of it is pretty. Abraham had issues. Isaac had issues. Jacob was a liar. They committed the same sins of their fathers. It's not about perfection. You you and I can maybe want to curse our personal history, but God is a redemptive God and he works through the lies and the deceit and the failures of common men and common women so that you could succeed if you'd only recognize he's there. And when he shows up, acknowledge it. And when he shows up, bow on your knees. And when he speaks to you, give him his just due. 
God's at work in your personal history. He's always been at work in your personal history. You might have thought you've been a victim of circumstance. Surely Moses, his mother, could have thought, might have thought she was a victim of circumstance, not knowing her role in the redemption of Israel. Her role was to bring forth Moses, who would one day, although he had his own problems, God would use him at just the right time to deliver his people in a way he should never have been able to. God's at work in your personal history. He's the God of your fathers. And in due time, he reveals himself and he reveals his purposes. I believe that for the believer that will hang in there, for the believer that will stay the course, for the believer that will run the race, for the believer that falls and gets back up again, after time we look behind us and everything we saw that was hurtful and painful, everything we saw as misfortune, we see God work. We see he was there the whole time. And that maybe some of those bumps and bruises were actually to protect us from going the wrong way. Those closed doors he shut to protect us from our own desires. Why? Because he's the I am. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He sees all, knows all, sustained, sustained by no one else. And he knows what's best for us. The fourth thing I want to share with you out of this story is that God presents himself. He interjects himself into our corrupted context. Verse six, when, as God reveals himself, he's, it says, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He's afraid to look at God. See, Moses doesn't know God like his forefathers did. He hadn't seen God like Abraham. He hadn't dug wells like Isaac. He hadn't wrestled with God like Jacob. He didn't know God like his forefathers did. He had been raised in a pagan environment. Over 2,000 Egyptian deities surrounded with, by, by a different language and different customs and different cultures and different ethics and different moralities because he was raised in Egypt, not by the people of God, under the governance of God, but rather in an Egyptian context. And even in that very corrupted, broken setting, God reveals himself. See, when God said, take off your sandals to Moses, he was saying, it really doesn't matter where you come from, but you've done. You murdered a man. You don't know who I am. You don't recognize my voice. You might be wondering, and he is wondering which God is speaking. But let me tell you, I am that I am. So this place is holy. Take off your sandals. What I make holy is holy. This function surrounding him, this function surrounding us today. It's hard to get on social media and not get depressed or discouraged. And let me remind you, family, if you're a believer, act like one. If you've been washed of your sins, act like someone 
who knows they were lost but was found. If, you've been, if you're someone who's been delivered by destructive behaviors, act like someone who was forgiven instead of like someone who earned it. We're no better than anyone else. We're all broken in some way. But for those of us who have found Christ, he's washed our sin away. Let's not pick some up and put it on ourselves again. Let's not go in the garbage looking for lost bad habits and then paint it with a self-righteous brush that looks a little bit like Christianity, but isn't it? The place you stand is holy, not because you're holy, but because he is. And in this broken season where everyone's been bottled up and where slander and accusations you can send now thousands of miles through the internet, we need to fall down on our feet, on our knees, take our sandals off and remember that he is holy and that right here in this very broken and corrupt and dysfunctional context, God can make it holy. God can make it pure. God can make it sacred. If we would just notice he's showing up, he's speaking. The last thing I want to share with you actually gets to the very crux of the point, and that is this. Go, and that is this. God can because he is the I am. The conversation continues. Verse 10, so now go. God says, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that is I who have sent you, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Can you say that with me? I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, verse 15, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Just to wrap this up, friend, Moses is asking God, hey, if, if I go, which is kind of funny, this whole conversation is really funny. God says, the way you're going to know I sent you is you'll worship me when it's over. That's kind of funny. You worship me here when it's over. And then Moses says, now suppose I go, which he wasn't really supposed to think he had a choice, but that's for another sermon. Moses says, basically, who shall I tell, who shall I say has sent me? God says, I am that I am. Moses wasn't sure. Again, he doesn't know who this God is. Is this, is this Hopi, the God of the Nile? Is this Hecate, the goddess of fertility? Is this Kepri, the God of creation? Maybe it's Ra, the sun God. Again, there were 2,000 gods that he'd heard of. Who is it? And God responds the best way he could ever respond he says, I am Yahweh. I am that I am. I've shared this before, but I'll just share it again. 
doesn't matter if there's rain or no rain, he is. It doesn't matter if there's harvest or no har harvest, he is. It doesn't matter if you're feeling good or not feeling good, he is. It doesn't matter if you have children or don't, he is. He is the I am. What God was doing with Moses and what we hope you'll get over the next few weeks is that God was not connected, tethered, relying on anything else. He is. He just simply is. And that's why you and I can build on him. He never moves. He never changes. He is. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, when Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, when Jesus declares, I am the true vine, he is saying, I am the one who spoke to Moses. This is why when he made these declarations, you're gonna see the Jewish religious leaders that couldn't accept him, that couldn't submit to him, that would not take their sandals off, that would not bow and worship, those that contended with him would try to kill him. Why? He was declaring that he was the I am. See, he's the one God that is real. He is the one true God to worship. So as he calls to you during this season, in strange ways, recognize him. Recognize him. As he calls to you, even when you've been spiritually asleep, answer him. As he reveals himself to you, recognize he's been there all along. And even in this really, really difficult time, it's almost, it, we look around and you see and hear things that are almost like those, those um, mirrors, those crazy mirrors in like a fun house or at the carnival where nothing looks right. That's kind of what it's like right now. Nothing looks right. Nothing feels right. Recognize one thing is sure. God isn't lost. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't changed. You can rely on him. He is showing up because he can. He is revealing himself to you because he can. We love you, Thrive. Join us for this series. Go through the book of John. Begin reading the I Am statements. We look forward to digging in deep. Remember, remember, night and day, whether it's gloomy or bright, no matter the season, no matter the time, God is with us because he can. Love you, family. We'll see you soon. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.